Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who might have slept with Ginger from Gilligan's Island, but got so nervous when she hit on him, he literally ran away. It's TV's Tim Stack. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Back for episode two of the Dynasty of Hits Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm going to quickly tell that story about Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island. You know, every guy always was like, you know, Ginger or Marianne, which one's it going to be? It was never Mrs. Howe, although now I'm with Mrs. Howe. Um, <laughs> when I look at that show now, those girls are too young. Mrs. Howe, wow, she's looking pretty good. Um, but uh, uh, Ginger, I was on this show that... Our, my guest today, we'll get to him, but another guy from the Groundlings, uh, Phil Hartman, was also, he did a few episodes of this show. It was called Our Time, and it was 1985, and it was a really bad NBC variety show that Johnny Carson's company produced. And what the, the show was, well, play the cue, play the clip, Dr. D, and that'll tell people what the show was. This is an actual promo. The kids of the 60s have made it to the 80s, and now it's our time. The stars you grew up with reunite in a hot new summer party. Each Saturday, host Karen Valentine teams up with your favorite stars for an outrageous good time. All the music you fell in love with. All the fun you'll never forget. It's our time, Saturdays on NBC. Okay, so it was 1985, and I'm doing sketches with all these people that I grew up watching on television. Like Darren from uh, Bewitched, it was Chip Bill Dana, all these people, Mickey Dolan from the Monkees. It's just fantastic. One after another, a revolving door of TV stars from the 50s and 60s. And Tina Louise is on the episode Ginger, and she still looks great. This is 1985, still looks great. And uh, we're, we're done for the day, and she said, hey, will you walk me to my car? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. And we walked to the parking lot in NBC, and we get to her car, which wasn't that great of a car. Uh, and, and she said, and we're talking the whole time, and she said, uh, would you like to have a drink? And I got so flustered that Ginger from Gilligan's Island was hitting on me. I couldn't respond. I just, uh, no, no, I have to go. And I got in my car and I drove away. And I I was also just with my wife at that point. We had just hooked up. And uh, so I was very much in love. And uh, anyway, as I'm driving away, I'm thinking, I could have been with Ginger from Gilligan's Island. And I did not. So anyway. uh, (laughs) Your wife appreciates that. So, um... I'm going to tell the Tina Louise story. Anyway, that was a great... And also, uh, Phil was on that show, but also, it was the first time I met Harry Anderson was on that show, and we became very good friends later on in life. Anyway, um, I want to quickly say that the show I worked on, Sprung, is out on Freebie now. We got great reviews, really great positive response on social media. Two more episodes dropped this Friday on Freebie. If you can find it, it's worth it. It's a really fun show that Greg Garcia did that... I got to work on. Anyway, my guest, I'm so excited that my old friend, I'm not going to tell his name yet, but he's with us. He's going to be with us. Here's a little hint of music from some of his best work. But you don't want to go. Any life 
stay forgiving through the forest and the trees. And, and you'll go, go just where you want to go. Okay, that, of course, was from the Brave Little Toaster. Let's have a drum roll so I can introduce our guest. Here it goes. There's a drum roll. Okay. We know them from Saturday Night Live, A League of Their Own, Rat Race, a really underrated comedy that nobody talks about, Benchwarmers, the episodes of The Simpsons, News Radio, The Critic, and so on and so on, all of which he really owes to me, Mr. John Lovitz. John, before you talk, I just want to say, I want to uh, give you some more uh, props here. You're appearing, you just finished at the Tropicana in Las Vegas. Was that fun? You were there for a week? <clears throat> Well, I've been doing that since last August. It's it's so uh, it's um it's ba- it's basically uh, year round as much as I want to do. It's like a residency, and I just book you know dates when I'm available to appear there. That's so great. It's wanna... an outstanding offer to always be there. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I want to talk that introduction. By the way, that introduction was fantastic. I'll say it's the best one you've ever gotten. <laughs> You're also, I was just going, upcoming up, you got the Irvine Improv on September 9th and 10th, the Milwaukee Improv, the October 20th, 23rd, and the Chicago Improv, November 2nd to the 12th. So you're a busy guy. Yeah, you yeah. are. You make the, the, no, the, well, thank you. The Improv, in, it's in Schaumburg. It's for the weekend. It's not that long a date. Maybe it's the... I don't know what the dates are, but it's it's not for six days. God's sake. <laughs> I By do way, I, I that story about Tina Louise, I I go, you're like, well, I turned her down because I love my I just hooked up. I did. My wife. What do you mean hooked up? Well, that's what they say now. I now love I'm my using wife. a current I term. I she hooked up with her. her. Well, Okay, you could love her and still be with Tina Louise. It's two separate no, things. No, no, no. Well, you've met my wife. You know that wouldn't fly. You, you don't even though, her. even though it would have sort of been a hall pass. You don't tell her. <laughs> you acted like it happened in the past. <laughs> Secondly, I had the same thing happen to me. Really? Ironically, but with Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> who Tina Louise was was uh, you know. Pretending a spoofing on Gilligan's Island, <laughs> but I I didn't know I didn't understand what it was. Same almost conversation. You want to go get a drink with Marilyn Monroe? I, yeah, I was. I didn't know what she's. I was four. Yeah, yeah you were four years five. old. Um, John, I do want to start. Go ahead. I want to start <laughs> off with something. Eh, it's not serious, but it's it's very complimentary of you. Because you and I go way back, like I think 1982, we met. I think I was trying to figure. Yeah, it out. I was taking class at the Groundlings. Yeah, and you, you and Phil Hartman were two of the, my idols. I wanted to be like I looked up to you guys. Um, and sure, but but here's what I want to say to you, John. Is and I really mean this. I'm I'm super proud of you, and not just for your because I knew you way back when, and not just for your uh, career but also sort of your second career. You became a stand-up comic when you had never done that. You like never, that never dawned on you. And yet you've developed this second career. (laughs) The way I became a writer, and most people become writers or directors and stuff, but you became a stand-up comic and now you're super successful at it. Anyway, I would just love for you to talk a little bit about how that happened. 
Well, I'll try to say it briefly. <clears throat> I was 13. I saw Woody Allen's movie, Take the Money and Run. Yeah. So I became a big fan. Then I saw, when I was 16, the movie Lenny, starring Dustin Hoffman about Lenny Bruce. And I never heard of Lenny Bruce. And the movie was great. So I went to the record store, which they don't have anymore, to get, <laughs> I wanted to buy Len, Lenny Bruce's records to hear, hear the real guy. Yeah. And then I saw that Woody Allen had been a stand-up, which I didn't know. And it was like from, uh, said night, night, Woody Allen, this, the nightclub years, 1964 to 68. So I bought that album too. And then I would learn their routines. I performed them in my dorm. And then right after college, I was going to, I, I went to the comedy store, a workshop to learn how to be a stand-up. It was free on, on a Saturday. So this is before I, the Groundlings? No. Yes. Before the Groundlings. I, I didn't know this. Right after college, I was a drama major at UC Irvine. So I was 21. I go, and the guy teaching the workshop goes, oh, they're not hiring stand-ups for sitcoms. So if that's why you're being a stand-up, don't do it. And then he just said like a blank. And then I raised my hand. He goes, yes. I go, but you, you'd think they're not really, they're not hiring you. No. I go, you think they would. You guys are funny. Yeah. Well, you think they would, but they don't. <laughs> and I didn't know anything, you know, so right. I went, oh, gee, I thought this would be a good way to like get into show business. So I figured, all right, I'll skip that and went to New York for a year, nothing. And then I came back in 82. No, I took a class for the camera, Tony Barr, uh, great, uh, a friend of mine, Mike Sabatino from college was doing it. He goes, well, everything in LA is on camera. So he goes, I think you need to do that. I didn't know what to do after college. No. I didn't have a clue. Nobody knows what that. to do. Yeah, I didn't know. And then, and then, and then, um, yeah, there wasn't like a studio which signed you to contract. That was all done. You're on your own. So I went to New York for a year, didn't get anywhere. So I came back and that's when I started at the Groundlings. And then, and then after my audition for SNL, I was going to, I was, I started working on a little monologue, like a stand up monologue. I thought maybe I'll try that again. But then I got SNL. And then when I got on there, Dennis Miller would say, Oh, you could be a stand up. And, it's not what I do, but there's a guy named Kevin Meany. He's really funny and silly. Yeah. So he took me to catch a rising star to see Kevin, who was hilarious. God bless his soul. He passed away. Anyway, and then I got, so one time I went with Dennis and I got up on stage. They go, John Lovitz. Yay. They knew me from SNL. Then I, I did, I didn't know what I was doing. So five minutes later, they go, John Lovitz. <laughs> you know, the sound of one hand clapping. I went, oh, my God. Like, oh, this isn't, like, easy. Like, you know, they would make it look so easy. Your and dog you know, just looked up while you clapped. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted to do it over the years. but I And I would get up, but I would be so nervous. It was crazy. One time I did the Aspen Comedy Festival, a midnight show, and it was all the top new comics. And the manager of the improv knew me. He goes, John, you want to get up? I go. All right. So I did like 15 minutes that that's I. A, that's written. a lot. And Bud Friedman ran up. You're a stand up. You're a stand up. I go, I don't know. I don't know. When I was on Saturday Night Live, like Dana Carvey goes, you, you could be a stand up. Dennis Miller was the first one. And then I, you know, I, I befriended or Eddie Murphy befriended me. I go, and he was the hottest in the country. I go, I go, do you think I could be a stand up? He's like, yes. Robin Williams would be on the show host. I go, do you think I could be a stand up? Yes. And they were, those were the four hottest stand ups telling me I could do it, but I just didn't, I, I'd see them and I go, I don't know how they do that. Uh, Dana was like a different personality on stage. He was amazing. And Dennis was great. As was Eddie and Robin. They were just, I go, I don't know. What am I going to do? I can't, can't do their act. You got to do your own. But, I go, well. but that's sort of my point, John, is that 
Again, it's really uh, commending to you that that you did it. You found well, you, you know found what, what really happened was why I finally did it was uh, uh, I I got Saturday Night Live. <clears throat> I worked straight for eleven years, and then things slowed down, and I wasn't getting any work. And so after seven years, I said to my agent manager, "I go, can you get me work?" I said, "I'm not broke, but I'm going to run out of money in in five years." And they both said, well, uh, why don't you sell your house? <laughs> That's and nice. They, were, they, were they going to take 10% of that too? Well, so I move, you're moving up in the world and I'm just moving down. And I go, all right, they, they've given up. So I was so mad. I thought, I have a better idea. I'm going to learn how to be a stand-up. There you go. And I'm not going back to being broke. I go, fuck that. So I went to the Laugh Factory, Jamie Masada. You know, my agent said, if you ever want to do stand he always said to me, I should do it. So I went to Jamie. I go, okay, I'm going to try to be a stand-up. I'd, I'd been there before. He goes, okay, buddy, you're up next. I'm like, what? He goes, come on. And and my heart, if you touched it, it felt like it was like I'd sprinted. Well, for me, maybe 10 yards. <laughs> Racing. It was like boom, 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 boom. I mean, it was crazy. And, I, and you'd walk up these five steps. They say your name. And my legs felt like lead. But I started doing it. And I would go once a week, and then I stopped after three months. And then after another th- six months, I go, boy, if I'm going to do this, I really got to, like, go. I mean, it was very scary. It was yeah, starting but moments. you've done it. Again, congratulations. But I did it, and, and I stuck with it. And Jamie was great and gave me my own hour sh- show. Yeah. Because, like, Jamie, 20 minutes, I go, I'm going to be doing an hour. He goes, okay, buddy, I'll give you Wednesday. So he really supported me. Uh, you know, he really did. So I learned – because of him, I learned how to be a stand-up at his club, and then I – I used to do like hosting for SNL guys like Kevin Nealon and Norm Macdonald and Victoria Jackson. <clears throat> and then one time at corporate day, they go, can you do 10 minutes? I'm like, 10? Because I was only doing five. <laughs> yeah. When you start, it's forever. Right. And I did it. And then the woman at corporate goes, you're a stand-up. You could do this. I go, really? All right. And then I started. I got to 20 minutes. I couldn't get past 20. But that's still that's a lot. Much material I had because I was rushing. And Dana Carvey helped me. Like he said, you got to have fun on stage and do a short setup and do a lot of jokes on one topic. Don't like do a long set, like three minute setup and then one joke and then switch topics. And that he goes, that's a recipe for exhausting the audience. And then I said, well, how do I come up with more material? And he goes, well, look at the topics you have and then go, how can I expand on those topics? Like write mo- more jokes on that topic. It seems, and it's such a simple th- answer, but it would have never occurred to me. It occurs to comics after they've been doing it for years. So he he saved me years, you know. And after like, uh, and and then eventually after about a year, I started co-headlining with Norm. And then I started after about a year that I headlined on my own. And okay. it's been great. I love it. It's been fantastic. Speaking of minutes, we got about 45 seconds left in this segment. I want to go back to 1982. I want to talk, tell everybody when you and I were neighbors. I want to tell them what you did when you got your first acting job. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, tell them what, quickly I, tell them what you did. I I was 25 in the paper chase the second year. On so Showtime. I, it was on I show. laughed and then I cried and then I threw up. There you go. <laughs> and then he ran out to me. I was on the porch and he said, he said, Tim, 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 I got my first acting job. I got my first acting job. And then I threw up. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be right. Because the, 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 the pressure of everyone going, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. And no one's telling you to do this. 
<laughs> you know, you're on your own, and and no one's telling you but you. Yeah. And then at the Growlies, you know, you have everyone going. They're going, yeah, you're funny, and you you've always been extremely supportive, which would you know was great. The funniest thing I remember about you, we lived on Harrod. Okay, hold hold on, hold on. We got to take a break, and we'll pick it up on Harrod Street. And John Lovitz is my guest. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. John's going to be at the Milwaukee Improv in October, October 20th through the 22nd. The Milwaukee Improv in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Okay, we'll be right back. Right Irvine, back. September 9th and 10th. There you go. That too. The following is a public service announcement. If you have a problem telling the truth, this message is for you. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan, and I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm, a, I'm the president of that organization. Yeah, that's who I am. I didn't always lie. No, I, I used to tell the truth. But then one day I, I told a lie and I got away with it. Yeah. Told my parents I had a brother that they'd never met. They got mad at me for not telling him sooner. And they kicked me out of the house. Yeah, that's what happened. Okay, that, I think that was 1984, John, that you and I and March. somebody else from the Groundlings went to do The Tonight Show. It with, was March 18th, 1985. It was such a big deal. Like, I tried to, I tried to tell people... It was insane that we were going to be on the Stein Show. Then I have another compliment. Yeah, I remember being in the Groundlings, and on a Sunday, every, I get 20 messages from people in the Groundlings, congratulations, congratulations on my voicemail. And I remember Steve Heber going, congratulations, it's so great. Nobody's saying, what's it for? <laughs> well, on Monday, I called, I called um, Tim Mack. Uh, Tom Maxwell, you know, the artistic director of the Growlings. From, is Tom, was he from North Carolina or South? Yeah, Hickory, North Carolina. North, right? You know, spoke black this. So I go, Tom, what's going on? Everybody's congratulating me. For what? <laughs> he goes, we're going on the Tonight Show. I go, who? He goes, you're, you're doing the liar sketch. And he goes, they were there Saturday. I go, they saw us. I go, they were? Yeah, you didn't know? I go, no, I didn't know. Yeah, they're, and they're going. They're going to do you're the liar sketch, and you and Tim Stack are going to do the truck driver's pace, and then they're going to do White Man's Rap with Don Woodard and Mindy Sterling and Kate Benton. I go when he goes Thursday. I go <laughs> Thursday. Oh my God! He goes yeah. Can you believe it? I go no. And we're both like screaming. We were so excited because the Growlings is a 99 seat theater. Now we're going on the Tonight Show in front of five million people with Johnny Carson. It was just crazy how much like yeah. it, you just have you no were, idea. Yeah, you wrote that truck driver's piece. You remember you put you were always generous to me. You put me in that. Yeah, oh, back at and you. actually another piece you put me in helped me get SNL. I don't know if you know that. What was that one? Um, the World War II piece. How we ended up on the front lines. Yes, yes, yes. That was from that the, actually yeah. got me the show. Seriously? You yeah, did. but it's kind of funny how. So, well, how tall are you? Six four. Yeah, and I'm like five ten. Yeah. So we'd be on stage. We go, how'd you end up in the war? Well, you did it originally. Then I get in the grounds, and and I said, God, I love that. You go, well, you want to be in it? And I go, yeah. And you helped me write. We wrote it together. You've been very generous. So my story about you know how I got in the war, 
and you were on my left in six four. So you know, and he's like, you know, how'd you end up in here? And I go, I go, how did I end up here? I go, um, I go, uh, God, I used to know it so well. I, I, I need I to look that. Piece I go, I go, how did I end up here? I go, I was at home. I go, package. I go, package arrived. No, I don't know. The army drafted me in the my army. My. Uh, my army suit you know, arrived in the mail. A package arrived in the mail. Wrapped inside was my uniform with my name on it. Grandma got to it first. <laughs> you didn't want to lose right. the only man. Goes, she didn't want to lose the only man with rubber feet. <laughs> oh, she put it on, took my place. Nobody knew. It, it was all, the whole thing was goes, based on those, yeah. those old World War II movies. Dana, Dana Andrews. Nobody knew because that uniform fit her like a glove right after she added 15 yards of canvas material. <laughs> and then I'd look up and you go, you see, Captain, grandma was what you call a hefty gal. Oh, she liked to eat. <laughs> you came up with this one. That she was quite the chow hound. And I go, nah, who am I kidding? She was a fat pig. Yeah. We can't. Do anyway, that. when I said, anymore. when I said, you see, Captain, so at the, my audition in New York, they, they we auditioned and blew it in this Minskoff Studios. Next day, they put us on tape. And I met Randy Quaid once, I think through you maybe, but I met him at, was it at Brian Dennehy's house? Yeah, we, I used to play a lot of golf with Randy Quaid. Yes, I met through you once. So Randy was already hired. So I go, what else should I do? I go, I do this piece about my grandmother, and I did it for him. So we go inside the studio. And and uh, Lauren goes, you want to do the liar? And I go, well, I already did it. I mean, you want me to do it again? He goes, yeah, that's right. That does make sense. And then Randy goes, why don't you do that thing about your grandmother you did for me? I went, oh, okay. So I go, this is a, a guy in the world. Tour. How did I end up here? A package came in the mail one day, wrapped inside my uniform. You know, grandma got to it first. Like, she wouldn't lose the only man to rub her feet. Fit her like a glove. You know, after she had all canvas material. Then I looked up at Randy on my left and I went, you see, Captain. Now, in my head, he's on my left, just like you. Yeah. He's six four. Yeah. Just like you. Yeah. I went like this. I just went like my. I went. You see, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, just like Tim. Yeah. So I get the show anyway. I ended up getting it. And Al Frank goes, he goes. You know, you were everything we didn't want in one person. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. I <laughs> go, then why did you hire me? He goes, because you were funny. Because you were everything we didn't want in one person, but you were funny. I go, well, what, what made you laugh? He goes, you know, you're doing that thing and you went like this and looked up twice. I go, I wasn't trying to be funny. I was going, oh, just like Tim. Is that crazy? No, that's funny. That's a funny and, story. And every time Al saw that, he couldn't stop laughing. That's funny. Uh, yeah, we, John and I lived, we lived in the city. There was like a groundling apartment. Groundlings is this improv company in LA. You lived there first. I lived Josh there first, Josh King and Shirley Prestia. Then there was a guy on the first floor who had a Nazi flag. I remember him. He was really weird. <laughs> um, he lived down next to Shirley. I remember there was an actor named Drew. Nice guy. And next door, there was two uh, two guys, two, uh, you know, who are gay living next door to him. And yeah. I'll never forget, he said to me, John, goes, oh, God, last night, I'm in my apartment. I hear all this slamming around in the kitchen and they're banging. It's like nuts. 
And then all of a sudden they hear, oh, Larry, you're killing me. Okay. We know we know what story we're going to cut out of this for time. I forgot to tell you, John, this show is G-rated. Um, but, uh, okay, we told the Showtime story The um, uh, about John, John's first job. Well, then, here's the story. Here's the story. This is how little we knew. I'll never forget this. So you had two things. You first of all, you had a a, a date book, a calendar, and I was very impressed by that. Yes. You know, were, oh. I, still, I still have one. Yeah. Everybody that, else has moved on to electronic calendars. I still have a paper. And then you said to me, "Yeah, John, when I make calls, they go uh, like so and so agency. Yeah, hi, this is Tim Stack. I'm calling for so and so. I think they like it when you say your name." <laughs> I was that was like an advanced thing. Yeah, I think you like it when you say your name. Yeah, yeah. This is Tim Stack for Ed Smith. That's an entire hour of my seminar now on how you to remember that. How to make this. I vaguely you told remember. me, and I was very. I go, oh. I think the fact oh. that you were impressed with me is why I kept talking because nobody else would listen. That's how bottom of the ladder you were. <laughs> no, no, you. But you and Phil Hartman, at the, you guys were the you know the top two guys, the groundlings. When I so the whole I was classes and the whole school and Columbia, we all looked up to you guys. You were both super nice to me. But and I'm very grateful for that. No, I'm, I'm grateful back to you. You've always been great. I mean, you put Brave Little Toaster together. People love that movie. And you kind of put all the groundlings in, including Phil and me. And I don't know. I don't remember. I know that there was a guy. Um, Joe Ranft. Joe. Yeah, Joe. And who, and, who uh, unfortunately, he passed away, too, in a car accident. Yeah. yeah. But he awful. went on to create Toy he Story. He was taking class at the groundlings and then. He was part of what became Pixar. And, yes. And, and that was, uh, you know, that, in fact, I didn't realize this. The Brave Little Toaster was, I saw this documentary on Pixar. And John Lasseter, who's the start of Pixar, he wrote it. And he said that was going to be the first computer animated movie ever. The Brave Little Toaster. I wrote it. I submitted it to Disney. And then they fired me. <laughs> Did you know that? No, I, I knew he had something to do with it. I know because I talked. He wrote to, it. Wow. I thought Joe Ramp wrote it. No? No. But oh. Joe was part of it and Jerry Rees, who directed yes. it. They all went to Cal Arts together. Right. And then they, they you know, Pixar, they start. And Joe is like, in A Bug's Life, he was the voice of the Caterpillar. And he was a very nice guy, super nice, taking class at the Groundlings. And I, but I thought he was the one that put, put us all in it. I, he Maybe contacted he you first. You, I remember you oh. calling and saying they want us to do this. And then we went to some weird office in Hollywood. And he said to me, I think you'd be great, Lampy. But do you? he was such a Groundling fanatic. He said, do your voice of Skeeter and Babs. And that was this sketch I'd done with Tress McNeil like a couple of years earlier. And I kept thinking, how do you even remember that? And that's sort of what I did for the voice of Lamp, of the Lampy for that movie. But you were very generous with it. But I, I do want to say two other things about, like, the moments I knew you were going to have a great career. One was The Tonight Show, when you went out there by yourself. <laughs> that was unbelievable that you nailed it that night. And you were by yourself. You were the first one to go out of all of us. That was crazy. This but girl they, used to do this to me. That's so annoying <laughs> Isn't that annoying? <laughs> yes. And then the other time, I'll see if you remember it. this, John. You got an audition for a pilot called Foley Square. And at that point, I had moved in with my wife. We had hooked up. 
and I moved in with her, and you came over, and we worked on your audition. And I remember when you left, I said, not only is he going to get that, I said, he's got a... He's got a talent that nobody else has right now, which is sort of that 30s, 40s, you know, movie thing that's going to be able to transcend itself to modern television. And you went and you got that thing. And then you got SNL after that. And, and anyway, it's all. Well, my that. liar character is based on old characters on old movies. And Master Thespian was like, I loved old movies, those characters. I just thought those people, to me, they were just so entertaining and bigger than life. And they were real, but they were just great actors. John Barrymore and John Carradine and um, and um, my act teacher, William Needles. But their voices were just like, Mass Tasman were just booming. Yeah, but you also... Just so loud. Yes! You know, it was like a cannon. And, and I, somehow I could imitate it. You know, the Tonight Show, the funniest thing, we get there on a Thursday. And, uh, and it was like three o'clock. And I remember being at NBC in the commissary. And I said to Tom Maxwell, I go, Tom, I know you always go. I was so brave. You don't know. I, I was nervous. As oh, we hell. all were. And I said, Tom, what am I going to do? Because it, half the time the liar character works and half the time it doesn't. When I would do it at the ground, because if they didn't get the first joke, which is, you know, hello, I'm Tommy Flanagan. I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. And then the joke is, in fact, I, I, I'm. I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> and if they didn't always, if they got that, that he's like lying, which was the jo uh, joke, like he's going to confess that he has a problem and then lie about it. And I didn't know what to do. And then we had rehearsal and we go out in the studio. I went out <clears throat> and I remember looking up the tonight. It looked, I think the groundlings is like 99 seats. It's like nothing. This thing was 380. Yeah. It looked like the seats, you know, went to the heaven. So huge. <laughs> So I said to the director, I go, where do I look? Because I go, do you play to the audience? I hadn't been on TV like this. He goes, just play it to camera. Okay. So now I had somewhere to focus, right? Yeah. Where I knew where to look. But I still didn't know what I was going to do. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were in the makeup room. And Jack Lemon was a guest on the show. And Morley Safer. I remember Morley Safer. Interviewing yes. Jack Lemon for 60 minutes. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm standing against the wall. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is that world where they all live. <laughs> it's like, like it's another world, you know, which it kind of is. And so, or was then. So um, I heard Morley Safer. He said, uh, you know, uh, Jack Lemon, you know, you've been acting for 40 years. What have you learned? And John goes, well, you know, the one thing I've learned is keep it simple. And I'm like, that's my answer. Keep it simple. Just relax, look at the camera, and, you know. That's great. So then I was, and as I was doing the piece, I was like, you know, and I go, so if you're out there, you have a problem with lying, you know, just give us a call. You know, we meet at my house in Jamaica. But in my head, I'm thinking, so if you're out there looking at this right now, you need an actor, call me. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Keep it like, simple. Like, hello. We got to take another break. I do remember, Hi. one thing I remember too is is somebody always telling us, we were so starstruck and all they kept saying was, if you see Johnny, don't approach him. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow. okay, okay. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. John is coming up on September 10th at the Imp Irvine Improv. He's at the Milwaukee Improv, October 20th through the 22nd through the 23rd. And then November 10th and 11th at the Chicago Improv in Schamburg, Illinois. We're going to be right back with more on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack.
I'm John Lovitz, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, you're the greasy guy who saved me from coons when I was let out of prison. What are you doing here? Notch. I'm an ex-agent who was inside the brown starfish. Oh, and I'm also the father of BJ's baby. But you don't look familiar. Maybe this will help. Remember now, baby? Look at you. You're so handsome. Tell me something I don't know. But BJ's lover, how did you happen to plant your man seed in BJ's fertile pleasure garden? I, what? You know, got me pregnant. Well, you see, brown starfish wanted me to kill BJ so he could frame Congressman Bukaki. But I fell in love with her. And naturally, she fell head over heels for me, so instead of killing her, I protected her by wiping out her memory with a drug called Ephedol. Ephedol? Isn't that the drug that's so popular at fraternity parties? Oh, Notch, look at me. You think I need mind-altering drugs to get women? Well, to tell you the truth... Moving on. Very good, very good. That was from Sun on the Beach. John was nice enough to come on the last big episode. You can say I was in their brown starfish, but you can't <laughs> say, Larry, you're killing me. I guess, I guess we can say all of that now. <laughs> One is a play on words. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the other is a reenactment. <laughs> I didn't say what was happening. Okay. I just heard a lot of crashing. So, um, <laughs> speaking of voices, I, and we talked a little bit about uh, your love of old movies, but I, I do want to talk a little bit because we were all so naive, and you were so naive when you first joined us, but... But at the time, one of the things I remember at the time was you had a job delivering clothes for a men's store in the Valley. Is that right? Well, I worked, yeah, I worked the stock room, Rick Pallack, and I would get Rick lunch. Rick was a great guy. He, he was, I mean, he still is, but he, he was, um, I graduated college and my dad goes, it was a doctor in the Valley. He goes, you need a job. I have a patient. He sells clothes out of his apartment. And he said he, you could go talk to him. And I, and I saw Rick, he was a year older than me. And I remembered him from junior high school. I go, oh, I, I've seen you. And he used to work at this, uh, there was a boy store in Encino Rudnick's where everybody went to get clothes. I go, I remember you waited on me in Rudnick's. He goes, yeah, I remember you. So he hired me and he was selling like a million dollars a year worth of clothes out of his apartment in 1981. Wow. So I worked for Rick for three years. He was great. And, uh, you know, I, I actually, I worked for about a year and a half and sold clothes one day. I kept saying, I want to sell. He goes, just do it. I go, oh, all right. And I actually did it one time and I didn't know anything about clothes. I didn't know it. And um, I learned finally, but I didn't know. And then I, I came back and then he had a, a regular store and I worked from there for about a year and a half. And then I got the paper chase. And after that, I, I did two weeks. I, I quit store because i just said i can't go back to that store you know because i was folding shirts and running errands and you know i was you know lucky that i had a job and grateful to them and i liked everyone there but i it's not what i wanted to be doing and did you ever deliver clothes to stars do i remember that correctly like for some well, rick had people? a rolls royce and he had some clothes he goes good and he said uh oh take this to a joan collins house and i I thought he said, take the rolls. So I did. I go, oh, I'm, I thought you said, get in the rolls and deliver the, you know. 
That's really funny. So, but also speaking of he, famous people, he, he would dress all the new, all the local, all the news, biggest newsmen in LA. Yeah. And, yeah. A lot of, a lot of celebrities came in. The Jacksons would come in that, you know, from the five, but we, we grew up with them, you know, in school. So he knew them and I'd see him at school. I'd see like Latoya. At, at, she was in my class at Portola junior high. Yeah. Speaking of the movie, licorice pizza, the opening scene that said Portola junior high where I went to school. Oh, really? I love that yeah. movie. Uh, speaking of uh, street names, what is your porn name? Like if you take your middle name <laughs> and the street you grew up on, what is your name? Michael Viviana. Michael Viviana. Michael Viviana. <laughs> I could see that guy working. Well, that's my fake for a week. That's fake porn. Name. My real porn name is John Longdong Lovett. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I did that. I did that. Um, I actually did that. I never told anyone, but I I would do insert shots. Get out porn of here. for about three years. <laughs> yeah. Larry, you're killing me. <laughs> not that. Not gay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with gay porn. Nothing wrong. In fact, uh, you know, in some circles, it's delightful. <laughs> and um, there's nothing wrong. But no, I did straight porn. But I was only doing the insert shot. So they would only film me from like, you know, the belly button down to the knees. Yeah. So I did it for about three years. And I made like a million dollars a year. Yeah. Three times a week. And, <laughs> getting, and then, but I, I quit. It was because I couldn't get my face on camera. Yeah. You don't so want to do that. I want to be not when you're delivering no one, clothes in the valley. No one knew it was me. So imagine how frustrating. Three times a week, a different beautiful woman, yeah, servicing your needs orally, and then, and they're paying you, and you're making a million a year. But nobody knows yeah. it's you. Oh. Wow. Um, I do want to talk about your childhood. I am available for that job again. Okay. Uh, I'd rather uh, promote your stand-up. Um, so I do want to talk about your child a little bit. Also, a bunch of things there was, like, you used to hang out as a kid at Marlon Brando's house. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> no, well, I worked at the clothing store, and Rick had a real, like, there was four of us in an apartment. Now he had a store, and he had a cashier. Lisa Vixen and the and, and her boyfriend was Marlon's son Miko. So I ended up becoming good friends with Miko. Yeah, like very good friends. Yeah, and then we ended up, and then like the last three years of Marlon's life, I got to, you know, go up there and stuff. But I mean, I don't know. He was very private. So I mean, there's no secret stories except that I still respect his privacy. You know, and, but but all I can I can say, John, I just got to say, just the fact I that you were in his, you were in his house. You hung with Marlon Brando. After all this Godfather stuff, I just watched Francis Ford Coppola last night on CNN uh, talking about Brando, and it's just, I, I, it's unbelievable. You got to hang with the guy, and I think that's super yeah. impressive. Well, I can say the stuff, that, not, not about his private life, but which was just a normal. It was a, but the th I can tell you this. He was a really nice man. He was very, uh, very nice to me. I got to go to that acting class that he taught. And I've seen articles written about it saying how crazy it was and nuts. And and once they had this, they had the director um, the, who directed American History X. And he was he was really, you know, they go come as a character. And like right after 9-11, so he dressed up as a Osama bin Laden. And it was very offensive. And then he was rude to this other people. 
So Marlon, there was like 40 people in the class. And then this guy, Tony, I forget his name, he had about 20 students. And he goes, well, who thinks that Tony's right? Uh, you know, for because these women are doing an improv and then Tony goes, cut, that was shit. And Marlon's like, excuse me, what do you think you are to yell cut? In my, it's my class. What are you doing? You know, and, and Marlon, I tell you, was the nicest acting teacher. Like just, and he would just have everyone do improvs. So, so he goes, well, I, th you know, it was bad. And it was these two women, African-American women in their fifties, really well-dressed. They'd never acted. And Marlon was like, anyone can do this. And he had all different kinds of people in the class. He had a homeless guy that he met in the alley named Jim. He invited him into the class. I mean, that was my <laughs> old. No, I'm serious. He goes, you know, fun. maybe he could learn how to act and make a living. And this is Jim. And, you know, and that Marlon just treated everybody. It didn't matter who equal, you know, I mean, he didn't not, he didn't care if they had money or not. He just, every, he was respectful of everybody. He never thought he was better than anyone. And just, you know, he was, he didn't, he didn't buy into it. So, so, but it was funny. He goes, well, how many people think uh, I'm wrong and Tony's right? So about 20 people in this guy, Tony, they all raised their hands. <laughs> and then Marlon goes, okay, well, um, you can all leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. Like, well, half the class leaves. Like 20 feet, you know, and then and he goes, all right, well, let's continue. <laughs> and then, and like nothing happened. And then the next day, the cameras were set up differently. <coughs> and Miko was there, and I go, uh, Miko, see how the cameras are set up now differently? He goes, yeah, I go. I go, they're set up correctly. I go, your dad knows what he's doing. I go, they're set up. It makes sense the way they're set up now. It didn't before. You know, and and it was, um, you know, a privilege to be, but he was uh, – he was a real, really, really nice. Uh, he was very nice to me, but one time he goes, John, he, the thing under my chin, he goes, the fat, he goes, John, you, you got to get rid of this. I'm like, all right. <laughs> That's really funny coming from Martin Brando. So uh, anyway, back to the old movies. There's so much I want to talk about. Back to, the, But I do want to play this clip because it's my favorite clip of you and Phil together on SNL. And it really speaks again to John and I both love old movies. We just, and sometimes we'll go on text rants. I'll be watching a movie on TCM and I'll take a picture of some weird actor like Eric Blor, Glor. And Eric Glor. Yeah. Eric Glor. And I'll, I'll text it to Giles. I'll like, do you do this guy? And of course he does. So uh, anyway, here's the clip. Here's my favorite clip of you guys together on SNL. Yeah, I guess he did. Anyway, I'm sure Yankee Kamikaze is going to be a real winner. <laughs> well, I hope you're right. <laughs> Maybe I've made too many of these war movies. <laughs> Maybe I should take a rest, huh, Harry? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Johnny. <laughs> I think you should take a rest, too. A permanent one. What do you mean? I'm letting you go. You mean? Yes, your contract isn't being renewed. But Harry, you're I... finished, Johnny. Don't mince words. I think you stink. <laughs> Listen, Harry, if you're unhappy with my work, tell me now. You're through. Do you hear me? Through. You'll never work in this town again. Don't leave me hanging by a thread. Let me know where I stand. <laughs> I think you're the worst actor I've ever seen, and I get 500 letters a day telling me the same. What's the word on the street? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, that makes me laugh. And you would always do that, you know, back and forth across that line, buy for two cents. I'd say, yeah, what would you do for a nickel? <laughs> and we would always do it. And then I said, Bill, let's write something. We're always doing it. I didn't realize half that scene was in the in his audition for the show. If you go on YouTube, you can see it. And, and then we we're saying it. So we the, so that sketch was about, like, I'm the head of a studio. And um, 
and he's an actor that's playing a World War II pi- pilot, but he's he's got all caught up in it and he's gone crazy. So I'm like, I gotta fire him. So so the sketch was called One More Mission. Ugh. And we wrote it together. It's so funny. And and it just. We rehearsed it like crazy, you know. But you guys were so in sync, especially people forget the improv, the uh, Chick Hazard Olympic trials from 1984 when the Olympics were in L.A. And there was a special show at the Groundlings. And and you, I think I, (coughs) I never got to be in a Chick Hazard sketch, maybe once. But you were like born for that thing. And it just comes through in that sketch. Well, I was in the Groundlings, uh, you know, I took classes and that was spread out over a year. And then I got in the Sunday company and then, you know, and then you can get in the main company after six months. So six months went by. I didn't get voted into the main company, but I wasn't expecting to, you know, I, I, I was fine. But then after a year, uh, without naming names, there were, people got voted into the main company that I, I and I, uh, Tracy Newman's director, he said, what, what do you, I'm better than them. You know, she goes, yeah, I know. I go, so then why don't you vote me? And she goes, well, but you, you, you can do other things. You're talented. They can only do this. I go, I go, I've been here for two years working my ass off to get in the company. And now you're saying I'm too good. Yeah. I, oh, it's funny. I remember that. I, I was remember. so mad. Yeah. And then I met with Tom and he goes, well, we're doing this play with Phil and uh, Chick Hazard. He goes, look, I'm the director of the company. Well, first he said, well, you had some problems with a couple of the women. And you, I'm not going to say their names, but you know them. And I go, well, they're mentally ill. And <laughs> I go, sorry, I don't get along with people that are mentally ill. Sorry. So, so, so he goes, look, I'm the director of the company. If you, I've never worked with you. I don't know you. So why don't you understudy this part in Chick Hazard? Because a uh, 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 guy's taking, uh, George McGrath's playing a part. He's taking a few days, uh, once a couple of weeks off. So you can understudy the part and you'll be working with me. And he goes, and let's see how we work together and, you know, just, you know, start from a clean slate. And then, you know, if we see how we work together and if it's good, you know, I, you know, I'd want you to come see how that goes. Does that sound fair to you? And I go, yeah, that's fair. I go, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And then I was like, well, who, whose idea was it for me to understudy? He goes, Phil's. And I go, Phil, Phil knows who I am. You know, he was everybody in our mind, you and him we were like giant stars. And then I remember being in, in the, the hallway of the theater where we had all our lockers and Phil walks down the ha- hallway in his chick hazard costume, you know, and he's all got the makeup and the fedora and he's, he's in character. I don't yeah. know. He's just walking down the hallway and I go, I'll go. Oh, Hey, Phil, I'm John. Lovitz. Yeah, John, I know who you are. I think you're great. Go, <laughs> oh, you, you seen my work. Yeah. I think you're terrific. I go, thanks. Well, thanks for recommending me to understudy the party. Goes, sure. You'll be terrific. And then he walked on by and in my mind, right. I thought, God, Phil Hartman spoke to me. I'd never <laughs> met him. Never met him. You know, I just That's saw so him. so funny. And we were all like, there's Phil Hartman. You know? So I was like, you know, so grateful to him. And yeah. That's a great, that's a great, great story. Uh, we're going to take another break. Uh, and then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. There's a lot of advertisers for the show. They're, they're just chiming in to get, you know, because of me. Um, <laughs> September 10th, John's at the uh, Irvine Improv. October 20th through the 22nd, the Milwaukee Improv. And then November 10th through the 12th at the Chicago Improv. We'll be right back with more of John Lovitz on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Engine Larry. Okay, I got some announcements about some events coming up. Now, next week, it's all comedy here at the Velvet Wigwam. Joining us will be Lupe de Vega, the Fanny Bryce of Central America. Okay, now for the feature presentation. So, sit back, close your eyes. You'll think it's Sinatra. Let's have a big hand for Mr. Guy D. Simone. Good evening, Spock Nevada. Got one thing to say to you. Close your eyes, you'll think it's Sinatra. You make me feel just like a kid. That was, uh... That was Guy Simone. That was my big character at the Groundlings uh, many moons ago. And then uh, I did a, a Cinemax special that John was nice enough to come to Reno and do that bit for us. This was after Saturday Night Live, and it was it was fun. Do you remember being in Reno for that thing? And I remember we while were while I was on Saturday Night Live. While you were on Saturday Night Live, it was and I met, but yeah, and I remember and not, not and I go, gee, I don't know if I can do this. I'm on Saturday Night Live, and I asked Lauren. He goes. Yes, yes, you can do it. Why? He's a friend. You. These are the things you do. You're oh, friend. that's a nice. I didn't know that. That's I a went, nice story. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I did not want to do it, but they go, well, my, what do I, you know? You were looking for an excuse not to. Uh. Well, I, you know, then I was supposed to do it, and then my girlfriend's, I'm, you know, she had a like an eye infection. I had the flu. I go, Tim. Then what a wonderful out. couple you sound like. <laughs> and then Jan, your wife started screaming in the background. Yeah, because. You know, screw him, every you help people that I hate this. Then, <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll come, but no, but I really did have the flu. I did, uh, I did it anyway. Don't feel guilty. I finished the shoot, went in the hospital, and because I was so I lost a leg. Yes, what, Happy? A, what a fun story. Um, so I do remember Happy. sitting at a blackjack table with you, you had never played blackjack before. And you were so afraid you were gonna. You really liked it, and you were so afraid you were gonna become <laughs> addicted to gambling. You you played like two hands. I think you won one hand, and you were terrified. Oh my God! I think I'm gonna become a gambling addict. This is horrible. I guess, no, John, you're not. You know, I don't drink, Tim. Look, I'm drinking Pepsi. It's, it's free Pepsi. I'm drinking. I'm gonna become a gambling. No, John, you're not. It's all right. Don't worry. It uh, sounds like I didn't know anything about anything. Anything about anything. No wonder your girl got an I eye infection. I acting. That's all I knew. <laughs> um, I do want to talk. Your father, I just remember being such a character and an influence on you. And I'm wondering if, because I remember him being like, not crazy about you being in show business. And then super excited about you being in show business. Am I right? Well, you know, I, I mean, it's, he was, you know, he was a very successful doctor in the Valley. He built like Tarzana hospital. He built it, you know, he, he was like the biggest uh, internist in the Valley he had like 5,000 patients and, you know, everybody, I mean, back then was like uh, Kenny Rogers and yeah, a lot of famous people Jackson five. They were all his doctor. He wasn't like trying to get celebrities, but we, he, his office was in Encino and a lot of, you know, performers lived in the Valley. But he was, he wanted to be a singer. So, right. I remember doctor, him. So he'd say, I go, do you want me to be a doctor? He goes, well, I'd love it because I would never tell you what to do. He goes, find out what you do that you love doing and you're passionate about. And then whatever that is, do that and try to leave the world a better place than you found it. Okay. 
So, and he kept telling me about the groundlings when I, like when I was 20 and I didn't know these people, but you'd probably did. Was it Jim and Laura Gleason? Yeah, Jimmy Gleason. Sure. And she was a casting was director. Yeah. That, okay. I didn't know. I never met, but that was one of his patients. Right. And he goes, my patient is Jim and Laura Gleason. They go, go to the groundlings. And I remember I went when I was 20 because um, Lisa Kudrow, her brother Dave was like my brother and we grew up together. So his, his their older sister, Helene, she worked for this guy at, David Stewart, that was a manager and who worked for Larry Thompson. So I met with David to give me advice. He goes, go to the groundlings. There's this thing called a guy named Paul Ruby. There's his character, Pee Wee Herman, a midnight show. You should go see it. So I went and I loved it. He was, you know, hilarious, of course. Yeah. So I called the next day and Tom Maxwell, who I didn't know, I answered. He goes, hello. I go, yeah, do you teach class here? Yeah, come on down. And bring cash. And it scared me. <laughs> I had the same reaction to him. Do you know how I found the Groundlings? It, it involves Phil. It, I was tending bar at the Troubadour. The only guy I knew when I moved to L.A. was a cocaine dealer named Roland. I'm not going to give his last name. And so, I, I, but I read about the Groundlings. His last name, I knew him very well. <laughs> I read about the Groundlings, and I bought a ticket. And then Roland said, hey, we're going to a party on Saturday night. So I said, I'm going to see the show, The Groundlings. So I go to the Groundlings, and he said, come to the party afterwards. I go to the Groundlings, and it's Paul in the show, and Phil is Chick Hazard, and John Paragon. It was just Edie McClurk. It was, you remember your first experience. It's, it's a religious experience. Then I go afterwards to the party, and who is there but Phil? And he tells me, I was like, oh, my God, I saw this show. How do you get in? Well, you know, he's like, uh, take a class. And... And back then, do you remember carrying like a little address book sometimes? Like, anyway, he had Tom Maxwell's number in his address book. I called Bye Tom. Max. I called Tom the next day and he said, All you got to do is join, bring cash. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I found the groundlings. And, and Tom Maxwell, by the way, I don't know what, you know, I would say to him all the time, I go, Tom, you are the groundlings. I go, You. You're, it's because of you that the company's doing so well. You, he was a great director, great yeah. organizer, you know, great teacher, and and a, uh, and and a, he and a brilliant comedian. Yes. they did that show Waco, and Tom was just like his timing, everything. He was hysterical. Yes, I go. Why aren't you acting more? You're like the fun. Your timing is. He was very dry, and I mean, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, you know, very dry. But he and, does. He does not look like when I went to give cash for the class. He doesn't look like he's an improv. Like he doesn't look like your standard comedian. No, so, but so he, I understand he, why you were brilliant. scared. I get that. But he does. Yeah, I didn't understand. Yeah, come on, damn. <laughs> this is my dad. You should go to the grounds. You should go to the grounds. So I go. I worked my ass off for two and a half years. Dad, I got in the company. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you wasted all your time. <laughs> you go, what? That's, that's, a really, one who, that's a really funny character. You're the one who told me to go here in the first I go, you don't know what you're talking about. And secondly, you're the one who told me to go here in the first place. Oh, did I? No, I was kidding. It. You don't know what you're talking about. You know? But yeah, he was, I remember he came to see me uh, do Saturday Night Live. And at the end of the show, we come out to take our bows. He was in the front row. and. Um, I've never seen him smile that bit. Yeah, that, I remember that because I was there that, was at the end of the theme, season. Yeah, which made me happy. You know, I just wanted to make him happy. But I—that's that's a good life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a waste. Show me a funny person who doesn't want to make their parents happy. 
Uh, don't do it. It's a waste. They're just miserable anyway. <laughs> but, don't waste your time. But I so do remember. No. All right, I'm going to be. Bye. But I do remember the opera singing. He was. Didn't he want to be an opera singer? Yeah, he want. Yeah, and singer. you and he was always like. You told me he was always going around the house like Figaro and singing all that stuff. Oh, I'd always be singing every Sunday. He played opera music and you know musical and all. Me and my sisters would always be singing singing growing up and i'm actually working on a show now to sing and it's kind of it's going to be called from the shower to the stage and it, but it's me and i thought of your character guy de simone you know and i'm not i'm doing me not guy but i'm singing those kinds of songs and when you were into that i didn't really understand it you know sinatra i didn't get it i didn't really know now i really understand him way more now i'm like oh no now i i get that character even more I mean, I really get your character, which is, is, I always thought it was funny, but now I really get it because there's so many of these people. It's like, they want to be Elvis. They want to be Frank Sinatra, you know? Yes. And I, I would be in the Beverly Hills in some restaurant and some guy from New York goes, anyway, how you doing, John? Good. He goes, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Frank's, uh, I saw Frank. He's doing better. <laughs> Frank, Frank, and he goes, Sinatra. They go, oh, all right. I don't know. Who's Frank. That, that, uh, their whole life was him, that, yeah. which is your character. Yeah. But the more I hear him sing. It's unbelievable. The more I go, it's like Shakespeare. Every time you hear it, you, you read it, you find something new. Yes. His songs, he's just, he's unbelievably great. I mean, yeah. I remember Harry Connick hosted the show, and I got to know Harry, and I said, what do you think Frank Sinatra? He was like, oh, my God. He goes, he is, like, what do you, why do you think he was so great? He goes, Oh my God, he's doing so many different things. He goes, it's it's just unbelievable. And now I understand it a lot better. And it is because he's just he makes every song like he said. He goes, it's personal, but he makes it like it's like he's improvising the song on the spot, and he's just talking about some story that he himself is going through right now. Yes. yes. Plus, he's hitting all the notes. Plus, it goes phrasing the way he's singing it. Yes. All and a of friend that. of mine, his dad's a singer, and he goes. I go, what is it? He goes, well, he puts his personality into his work, into his song voice. It's him, but in the situation. So he's kind of doing it like if you're playing a character in a, a musical comedy, you know, but you're the character singing the song about what's happening. But he can sing. I mean, he's. Well, there's a, a famous song, A Cottage for Sale. Do you know that song? Sure. And uh, the first time I heard him sing it, I was like bawling. Well, crying about, you know, the end of a relationship, like a divorce or something. And it's, it's so, it's, I think it's like the best song you ever sang. He, he's so unbelievably great. Well, now, you know, I felt when we got Frank Sinatra Jr. to be on Son of the Beach, I was just, and then we became very good friends, but it was my chance to like, I mean, I, I loved Frank Jr., but hearing the stories about his father is just crazy. You okay. want to hear a story? I got to meet Frank once. Okay, but we're out of time. I'm being told we're out of time. So you're going to come back? Greatest story ever. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, story, put your ratings through the roof. Goodbye. Again. <laughs> John Lovitz, thank you. I love you. You're a friend for all these years. I want to give you one more. September 10th, the Irvine Improv. October 20th through the 22nd, the Milwaukee Improv. 23rd, sorry. November 10th through the 12th, the Chicago Improv. You can watch the show I worked on, Sprung, on Freebie. Uh, come back for the Jeremiah show, as always, uh, the guy who brought me into this. Uh, but, John, thank you again, man. It was so great to talk to you. And My pleasure. You. Thank you for always being so nice to me and great, uh, generous and helping me always. And 
you know, I'll do the show whenever you want. First one's free. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.